0: 7 one and it's an early start tonight for Ira on Sports. 9590 the true oldies channel. We had to start early, Ira, because Super Bowls. In, in the books, you're all decked out in your uh, Super Bowl 53 gear, so we know where, where you've been. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. Huge show on tap. Alex Reimer from WEEI in uh, Boston is going to join us. Tell us a little bit about Alex if we're not familiar, I. Right?
1: Alex has been uh, a staple in the Boston radio we had him on a few months ago and was his after the World Series and talked about the Red Sox and the Dodgers so he's uh, he's been write, a writer a writer he's a writer in terms of the Boston Globe and been on radio for years in Boston and he's a up-and-coming sportscaster everyone knows knows about him Boston he definitely has a, a pulse on the Boston scene you know being from New York
0: how do you like this stat if you're a four month old baby in Boston You've seen more championships than a 45-year-old man who follows the Mets, the Jets, and the Knicks.
1: And also if you're if you're if (laughs) you're awful, it's awful. And if you're a Los Angeles fan right now in the space of a few months, you saw your Dodgers lose in the World Series to the Red Sox and you just saw your football team lose to the Patriots. It's not and it's in very similar teams because the Rams are the shiny pieces. They have the great young players, Mm. the girly, the best defensive player in the league, best defensive player and similar to the the Dodgers having uh, Machado, having Kershaw, all that other stuff, all the celebrities, the same thing. And they lose both. And it's a very similar way. In terms of and and what happened in the baseball was that uh, bats came, you know, they they, at the end of this. J.D. Martinez started really playing better at that final game, Mm -hmm. and sort of Brady that last drive. So it was like the stars came out on that final drive to win it.
0: Do you think it was a little bit of a weird week in a sense that, for me, a lot of the um, Super Bowl got overshadowed by things happening in the NBA and just other, you know the this the Saints whole scandal which these guys won't shut up about and you know stuff in
1: the NBA, for me it was a little bit of a weird week and ratings were down for the Super Bowl and I think maybe that's a contributing factor. Well, I think there's always noise about a Super Bowl. Um, I think ratings, uh, there are so many people, their ratings are so high anyway that it's hard to to tell if weather's good somewhere else um, and how the game was. The game was tight and competitive. Uh, But there is certainly noise around this. I mean, I love the Super Bowl because it does bring in people that don't watch sports. I mean, if you're going to watch sports one day a week, that one day a year, it's going to be the Super Bowl.
0: What were your friends, you know, you're in L.A. a lot. Were people there as excited as they would be in a city like Boston? I mean, because you know what, you know, a city like Boston, they're going to
1: shut down the streets, and everyone is watching this. Do you think that people in L.A. kind of have the same sentiment? Clearly not. I mean, they don't even get excited. There's the level of excitement on sports. It's just that I think L.A. is a great sports town, but it's not something that it, because it's so spread out that it just doesn't gravitate in terms of a common pool, and there's so many people that don't care about sports there. The casual people just don't follow it that much.
0: Yeah, no, I understand that, and we're going to talk uh, plenty more about this Super Bowl. We're going to talk with Alex Reimer. Like I said, we've also got uh, crazy stuff happening in basketball. I mean, Nick fan and I'm excited. We'll talk about that. But first, Ira, you're all decked out in your Super Bowl gear. We know that you were in Atlanta yesterday taking it all in. But Let's start. This isn't your first rodeo at a Super Bowl. You've been there before. Let's talk about
1: that. I've been to fifty NBA Finals games and fifty World Series games, but not as many Super Bowls. But this is my (laughs) this is my fifth Super Bowl, and my first one was I went to the Steelers beat the Cardinals in Tampa, and uh, that was Ben's first Super Bowl. That was a great Super Bowl. Second Super Bowl. That was a great Super Bowl. Great Super Bowl. And the funny funny thing about that game was at halftime, I sat in the club section around the. I got a great deal on a ticket on Saturday. The prices actually fell. There were no Arizona fans at the game. The Steeler fans had already. their tickets and I, I was able to get a steal on a ticket. And um, I, I remember I was sitting behind, in front of Alec Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, and Billy Baldwin. <laughs> I went out when I came back, they're standing and the, the second half is starting and they would not move. And I was like, guys, you really have to move. I know you're celebrities, I know you're stars, but I got to get to my seat. And Snoop Dogg was there. I took a Snoop Dogg wanted me to take a picture with with of his family, so I took a picture. They <laughs> took a picture of me. Jim Furyk, the golfer, was there. I took a picture of him. I was just taking pictures of the stars. So that was that excitement of that game. And of course, the Steelers won. I went to the Saints Colts Super Bowl in Miami. Uh, the weird thing about that game is that was that another I,
0: really good Super Bowl. It
1: was a good Super Bowl. The funny thing about that is at halftime if everyone remembers the Saints had um, an onside kick to, start, Payton, yeah, to start to start the second out. half. Yep. Well I was in the bathroom and it was locked. The bathroom door you could not <laughs> nobody could get out and it was one of those things where I wasn't concerned because I knew that the people in there whatever happens like there were a lot of big guys in there they were going to knock that door down. Like mm. if there's ever a person not to be locked in a bathroom mm. but I did miss the start of that half and and that was The weird. most iconic
0: Moment of the the game. game. (laughs) And
1: the weird thing is that I upgraded, I had bought a ticket through a a broker of mine that I knew. And then when I went there, I could, uh, this guy said, I can upgrade your ticket for not that much. And I I sort of trusted the guy, but didn't trust the guy. And then I said, I don't know. I was going back and forth. And then I finally bought the ticket, paid for the upgrade. And then you have to wait for like 45 minutes to an hour to go through the line, to go through security. And during that whole time, I'm nervous. I make a mistake. When finally it it said, go, you know, it goes Mm. through. Then he told me, the broker said, You got to call me and apologize for doubting. And I was. Like, this is the best call I've (laughs) ever made. So I like that. And then I was at the uh, Packers Steelers Super Bowl in. Dallas, which was the crazy Super Bowl game where they yeah. had seats at 8,000 seats that uh, they built for the game uh, for temporary that the sheriff's office or the county, the buildings department in Dallas said were not suitable for the game. And so people who bought these tickets couldn't have them. The NFL was out buying tickets from scalpers. Craziest game in the world. And luckily for me, I was given a ticket to that game. I, I, was, I helped someone sell some tickets and then I was given that. And then the last game I went to was the Seahawks Broncos game, the crazy game in New York. And that pricing-wise, was nuts because that was when everyone said $10,000 to get in the most expensive Super Bowl all the time but then the weather was horrendous mm-hmm. and the weather became so bad and then so the prices went way way down because it was going to be we're going to have a blizzard we're going to have a storm and the night before the Super Bowl I went to like a party it was like negative 10 but the day of the game it was beautiful nice it was it's like 60 degrees but then the next day they had uh, 15 inches of snow mm-hmm. so it was like a crazy game where we, I was able to buy at the real low level for that.
0: It's 7.08. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel of Mike Balsamo, recapping Ira's adventures at the Super Bowl. And you had an adventure yesterday. Ira, you did something that I would never do. If I'm going even just a staycation down the block, I need every detail ironed out. You went to Atlanta with no ticket. And you figured it out. Tell us about it. Well,
1: I, I, I was waiting. I was debating to go. I wanted to see where these prices were going to go, and they were steady. I've never seen prices just not move forever. Like, it just for the whole week, they stayed almost the exact same amount. So if, I'm just, I'll
0: interrupt. Why do you think that was? Just because it's so many... Patriots fans were, you know,
1: on it. I don't know, and I've taught. It, it's not Atlanta fans didn't come. There are no Rams fans there. I think it's just the level of Super Bowl tickets in terms of people who wanted to go to the games. What makes a Super Bowl ticket so expensive, and, and that's what makes it so much different than any other event, where you're paying much, much more than a Super Bowl ticket than you would a normal like NBA Finals or World Series, is because you have people that this might be the only sporting event they go to this year. Like my friend took his five-year-old kid to their first football game, Mm -hmm. your first football game to a Super Bowl. So people who have disposable money, who have income, they're like, oh, I got to go to this game. So now you're not competing against sports fans. You're competing against everybody for a ticket, and it doesn't matter. So it just adds up the the – we might people. have had the same friend because my friend did the same thing. His Son's first football game; he's five. Yeah, so maybe start like college football, Division Two, <laughs> high school, maybe. I don't know. Maybe Miami Hurricane football. Um, so I decided to go at the last minute, and then and, and flew there on the day of the game. And I, the smart thing to do is go to where all the brokers are. There at the Weston Hotel, so I knew where the brokers were hanging out. And I just was looking at StubHub and Tickets Now and and Ticketmaster and look at those tickets. The hard with the Super Bowl is that people don't put their tickets online because a lot of those they can't; they're not allowed. They're either from their businesses. If they list them, they could lose their jobs, mm-hmm. or it's from the teams, their season ticket holders, and they could lose it their season ticket right. So if they sold it from this the teams. So it's it's really hard to get these tickets So there's so few of them and they're all hard tickets. Any every other game, the NFL actually is mandated almost that you have to have uh, non-paper tickets to go into games. It's electronic tickets like the yeah. heat. When you go to the heat game, yeah. if you go to the heat, you don't have a ticket. You just have your, your cell phone. And there's no hard tickets at all for Miami. But in this game, everything is a hard ticket. There is no electronic ticket. So it was really hard to see. And then I'm sitting there watching the prices. And at first, the brokers, I'm like, I'm running around. Oh, I heard a ticket's available. So I'm running around the hotel trying to talk to a broker. Like, what do you have available? What you don't have available? And then as time went on, I was still, I was nervous. There was a point where I didn't know if the prices were moved up. I wouldn't go to the game. But then they sort of just went by around 12 o'clock. They went down a little bit further. And uh, the brokers then realized, I don't know, then brokers started talking. To me, so it was like at one point I'm chasing the brokers and I'm staying somewhere I'm sitting, and there's not many buyers out there. And they started coming to me, and I'm talking to them. And I was able to get this one ticket as an upper level ticket, sort of on the five yard line. Um, and but the guy didn't have like you know cash, he wanted cash, so I had to go through a credit card, but then I had to pay someone else to run the credit card through for their company. It was real complicated, but it worked. And uh, and 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 the one thing when you ever buy a ticket like that, you're always you're always thankful when it says go when you get to the stadium and actually get it's in because I've I've been burned by tickets before oh, so I'm you're sure. always nervous. But I have too. And this I don't buy broker as many was as you. I mean I, there were like eight brokers who knew this ticket. They they, they if, if you look at the, if you see someone that you're not used to I've seen this broker before so I'm familiar. Like they're not selling bad tickets and there's a zillion holograms. This ticket has like five holograms on it. There's other things that you can look for in a ticket. I mean still you don't know because they could counterfeit it. And and on the street there was people outside selling tickets all the time and probably almost all of them were fake tickets. So it was it it's was. Risky (laughs) business. It was definitely it was definitely uh, very exciting and it was weird at what happened around two or three two o'clock right before I bought the ticket the uh, the great ticket started falling in price a lot the 50yard line low levels so there's a point in the game where everything sort of converged but I wasn't willing to go even higher to get that better ticket I was this was sort of a little out of my range even then to get this one so I just took that and and I, I wanted to be in the stadium it was Brady's two things is that mainly because it's Brady's I felt it was iconic to be at that game is six mm-hmm. Super Bowl and it was cool to be there so I wanted to make sure I get in there
0: you were at someone else's the sixth championship too, weren't you? Well,
1: Michael Jordan. So I, we could talk about that now or, or later. But the interesting thing is, yes, I was at in Utah when Michael Jordan won, and it was so. I've been. I don't know how many people in this country have ever been to have both Michael Jordan's sixth and Tom Brady's sixth. It was a little different. I mean, he was in Utah winning it uh, on a post. There was very few Bulls fans at that game, whereas Brady won it almost virtually with most of the stadium being for him, and and there were a lot of people. When uh, I just remember when the Bulls after he won. Uh, they had a small celebration on the court and then everybody sort of left and then they went back to the hotel at this Marriott and I just I'll never forget Jordan coming to the hotel and he went up the top of the escape hatch of the of the of the bus stood up and he had a cigar and the trophy. And you just see the silhouette, of the mm. classic Jordan silhouette with the, with the cigar, the trophy, hat, just himself holding it in the air and there's like this light. And I couldn't get a good picture of it because this, the lighting was so bad, but I'll just, I'll never forget that. And it was great. I mean, it was, certainly it was different in terms of they're both six. There's been debate today on talk radio. Who is the better, Jordan or, or Brady? Completely different sports. Yeah, and, it's not a real debate. And real debate. And, <laughs> and they also come from different perspectives. I mean, Jordan was one of the top players drafted, even though in high school he was cut. Whereas Brady came in the league as a as a late late round draft pick, one of the last people taken in the draft, and but it was tremendous. And and I just they're both they're comparable in terms of their excellence and their and what I like is if we're going to rate people who is great, you got to be great during the regular season and also be great in the in the playoffs and win Super Bowls. And both did that, so that's why they are considered the greatest of all time. Uh, tell me about you know
0: you're an atmosphere guy, so am I. I love going to live sports for that reason. That when it's a big game fans know it. So I can imagine the Super Bowl is just insane as far as the atmosphere getting to the stadium and around it is. So tell us about that.
1: Well, I like this one. I was surprised. I don't like Super Bowls a lot. The ones I've been before are very corporate, very suits. A lot of people who have tickets or who just have to go because they work for the advertising companies. But in this game, most people were fans. So I like the fact that when I got to the game, it was neat. Atlanta was fantastic. There's so many friendly people. You landed the plane and there were like 100 people like, welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta. And everyone was nice. And at the hotel, there were so many people guiding you around. Everybody was friendly. It was very. It, I thought that was cool. I like the fact that there were a lot of Patriot fans. Like I love being at the hotel where the action is. Like I, I want to oh, be there. I want to see everyone walk around, talk. Now I wore my Steeler stuff, which I normally do, and I couldn't believe how many other people also wore Steeler fans. Like people were like they were Eagle fans or were their Eagle. This was a game that if you weren't a, a Rams fans or a Patriot fan, you could actually wear what you're support. It's like the Pro Bowl you nope, wearing uh, yeah. or the draft, the NBA, yeah. NFL draft. But it was it was neat that. A lot of people said that. And it was it was very fun to walk around and talk to people and see what they're – and I was more nervous about getting this ticket and getting the ticket set. So I wasn't really enjoying it so much. But it was great just being in that field. And I like going to the hotel that's closest to the stadium where the brokers are because then you can just you don't have to worry about driving. Like the last thing in a Super Bowl you want to do is worry about parking because most parking lots aren't available. Remember, they take the footprint of the Super out. So usually all the lots that you park in for the games are gone. Like in the mm. Dolphin Stadium, you won't – for the Super Bowl next year, you won't be able to park in their normal parking lots. You have to Uber or park in real far away spots, so you really cannot drive to the stadium. You have to get there early, and you have to be in—most people are in the game two hours before the game. Right? Mm. That's, it's crazy. I was there three hours before this game, and even then the stadium was packed. So,
0: Tell us about the stadium itself. Um, how
1: close is it to the Georgia
0: Dome? There. I assume that they're pretty close because it was kind of easy to get in and out of, but I've been to the Georgia Dome and I didn't love the way it was set up and I think you kind of had the same feeling about Mercedes-Benz.
1: Well, they tore down the Georgia Dome to build Mercedes-Benz oh, okay. and then so the, same, Fips, the yeah. arena is right there, but I didn't like when I walked there. Like I can always remember when I go to some big event like walking to it and the walk wasn't a pressure. Walking over these highways, it's not like, I mean, I like going to like the Cavalier Stadium where there's where there's uh, restaurants and bars around and so mm. you're walking down a street. I just, I like to have a flavor when i I walked. I felt like I was like walking on an interstate. I didn't get a feel that it was like a good, nice walk. Even, even in New Orleans, it was more of a fun walk around. You're not in Bourbon Street, but it was still there were, were restaurants and hotels, and you're walking through. I just felt like I didn't want to get hit by a car walking to the Georgia. <laughs> and then it was all construction. Like stop with the construction all over the place. Remember I said about the Coliseum in LA? Mm-hmm. Stop with construction and walking around stuff. So all that was. Was interesting. The dome itself, when you go outside, is amazing. It There's, looks beautiful on TV. On TV, it's it, to me. I think it's built for outside because that Mercedes Benz logo is is like taller than buildings outside. It looks like a spaceship, mm-hmm. and then when you go inside oh the interesting thing the security is amazing not only do you have to go through an outer, outer level security they actually have two more levels even if you got through they keep checking really? your ticket it was like going to like the White House or some place yeah. because they're always checking your ticket always checking and remember you're not in the stadium you're just in the perimeter of the stadium so you check your bags and you go through they check your ticket then you check your ticket again and another check and t- ticket. That's what you never have never done that yeah. that's <laughs> why you have to get there so early Because but the lines weren't that bad because I, I usually get there early enough and we were there and uh, then we got in the Stadium, and I wasn't impressed with it. And I was impressed that it's a it's an amazing stadium, but it's so brand new. It's just built, um, concrete floors. The ceiling's not finished. Uh, it, it doesn't have the impression. Like I'm comparing it to the AT and T Stadium in Dallas. How just it's like amazing blows your mind away this just seems like the Georgia Dome but bigger and, um, and the Georgia
0: Dome under, was underwhelming anyways it
1: was yeah right and and, and like they tried like in Field, like have windows on one side so you could see Atlanta but it was really like a small little window um, the stadium was I'm not saying it was terrible and I was in the club section but I was in the lower section the upper it just didn't seem I was very crowded to walk around I hate that in stadiums where yeah, you literally too. cannot walk there's times when you're like hurrying to go and you there was, there was not enough bathrooms you couldn't walk around and the food selection was poor so and also the merchandise, like when people are going to the Super Bowl, they are buying everything. They're just You're buying right, stuff. Yeah. You gotta have it's more the memento boost. capital, right? You yeah. gotta have. I mean, I bought more pins and shirts. Everybody's calling you to buy stuff, but they didn't really have enough of that stuff there, and it was just hard. The lines were so long. I just, it has to be. I, I wasn't impressed with that aspect of it, and, and the seat is like this this plastic that looked like it was going to break at any second. Um, I liked sitting up high cuz I could see where the game was. I wasn't bad with my binoculars having the angle. But also the scoreboard is it's um it's round. No other stadium has that where the it's the scoreboard is in the middle and you look up at the scoreboard and you can see like these panels. So it was pretty cool from all sides you can see it. But where you, most people sit in the stadium they can't see the roof. I know they open the roof for the first part of the game, but nobody in the stadium can see that. It's only a small when they say open the roof. It's only a small little hole, mm-hmm. even smaller than the Cowboys stadium. So it's really not like That's the crazy. roof is open. It's weird. They say <laughs> it's open, but you don't feel Feel like it's open uh,
0: quick question did they maintain you know atlanta kind of uh, set a precedent this year by having normal size concession or normal price concessions did they keep the prices oh yeah I mean normal, it was unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I was with a friend and their son and, and they we bought like dinner and it was like twenty dollars it was very cheap so that yeah. aspect of it was was great they did oh but they'll get you on the on the uh, It was for the shirts were a hundred dollars and the and the hats were 50 and so they made the money you could eat all you want but the other stuff but I also I did not like the fact and we talked about this games before I cannot believe how much people drank at the game where I sat I think I got a workout yesterday I stood up about 67 times as everybody went to get drinks the whole game, it's like watch the Super Bowl. You paid so much, or yeah. you have this valuable ticket. Like this is not going to like a, a game at the Marlins Stadium in the middle of of because uh, all you do is drink. Yes. At Mar- <laughs> <laughs> at Marlins. Game. I mean, enjoy the game. And people were just getting up and walking. And I just kept standing up the entire game. I just couldn't believe it. The girl, woman behind me, dropped her cell phone on top of my head like five times because she was drunk. And it was just. It was. I was just surprised about how the Rams fans and Patriot fans and every other fans were just drinking to excess out of the
0: game. It's not worth it in situations like that. You want to remember the game. This is Ira on Sports. It's 720. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel of Mike Balsamo. Okay, so let's get into it. Pre-game, you know, Ira, they started on TV around uh, 7 a.m. it felt like (laughs) with with the pre-game festivities. What was it like being there?
1: Well, the weird thing about the Super Bowl and why some of these games start out slowly is because – there's so much time they have to have for the America Beautiful the National Anthem so the teams are out there and I've seen the Patriots do their warms before but it got so discombobulated because like Brady was just standing around because they have to do their individual drills and they do their team drills and then there's so many camera people on and so many other interview requests and it just gets messed up both teams have that problem and Mm I've seen that in other Super Bowls too and then they're on the field so much earlier for the National Anthem so it's just because they have the two National Anthems and other things they're doing and announcements It gets it's a very difficult game and also the The halftime is longer because they have the halftime show. So they play every other game is one way, and this was completely different. You
0: know what? I never thought about it, but now it makes sense why they say being at multiple Super Bowls makes a difference. The Patriots were ready for this. They've done this nine times. They know exactly what pregame is going to be like. They know what halftime is going to be like. I don't think there's a single player on the Rams who'd ever experienced
1: that. What's interesting is when you go, when you have the championship games and everything, when you have the championship games, you have, uh, the home teams are familiar because they do it all the time, but the visiting teams don't have the media around them like they do. Mm. In this game, you're playing in a game where where you're not in your comfort zone of your own home stadium, but also you have people all around you, so it just becomes a problem with all the interview requests. There's stuff on the field. There's so much stuff on the field, they can't even do their drills when the game starts. Let's talk about the game itself.
0: You know, a lot of people... Really didn't like this Super Bowl, they they didn't like the defensive um the the defensive battle. I loved it, I love I love a, a you know two handed shutout in baseball where it's a pitcher's duel. I don't need to see points and runs to be excited. A lot of people did want that, I I think, especially after you know some of these games this season, like the Rams and Chiefs, where people saw that game like, wow, they should do this for every Super Bowl. They should just let the Rams and Chiefs play seven times, best of, you know. For me this was a great game. Tell us about your uh, your takes from the game and and how you thought it went out.
1: Well, I when we talked last week, I said that the running game is going to be key. Um, but I felt that the, I felt besides the Dallas game, the Rams looked like they were having a lot of trouble on offense. They looked like a team that was high-powered but in name only. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that was at 33, 34, 35, 38, 33, 23, 39, 29, 35, and then two losses, 36 and 54. I mean, they, they had 35 and a loss, then they had 36 and 54. They were rolling until the Bears game and they, win. they scored six points, and then when and then they, against, and they lose the Eagles, and I think at 21 mm-hmm. points, and that's where everything started falling apart. 23 points, everything started falling apart for them. Um, Goff, before the Bears game, had 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions, and in three postseason games now, he's had one touchdown and two interceptions. Um, their offense, this is an offense that had 272 yards against Dallas on the ground, only 62 against the Patriots. Um, losing Cooper Cup was evident. They needed that outside threat. Mm. It's someone, it's almost like, like Edelman was for Brady. Cop uh, had 40 catches for 566 yards, six touchdowns. Her was hurt after eight games in the Seattle game. And uh, and I just don't think he ever recovered. And their offense, I mean, to think that they had this high-powered offense that scored 54 points on that great Monday night game against Kansas City. Mm. And then suddenly to score three points. Um, and then their defense played great. Their defense, did defense what was, was phenomenal. Was, but then at the end of the game, they were on fumes and Brady was able to to, to, to take it down. So, I mean, I'm not... Wade Phillips did a great job stopping Brady enough to win Which should have won that game with the offense. You hold the Patriots
0: to 13 points, you should win the game. Yes. You hold any team to 13 points in this NFL, you should win the game. You know what? To me, there was really only one drive where Jared Goff looked like he knew what he was doing. He completed a nice pass to Brandon Cooks. Other than that, he looked like a second year player, you know, or third year player. He didn't look like the. Guy, we you know we'd seen all season for the Rams, Sean McVay too w- was uh, you know a deer in the headlights for a lot of that game. He admitted Bill Belichick outcoached him, and I respect that from Sean
1: McVay saying that. But yeah, Goff didn't look the same. That that whole Rams offense just didn't look good. Right, uh, Jared Goff uh, was off. Uh, uh, Use that term, but um, he was not mobile he did not make good decisions in terms of that's why he got sacked. And he also, just the passing, his, he was not crisp at all throwing the ball. Now there's, did he have a cut on his hand? Did he not have a cut in his hand? What happened to him? But he made horrendous passes. He didn't make, he made bad decisions, bad passes, uh, played terribly. It was a terrible game. I mean, really, it was, and comparing what Nick Foles did last year, I mean, this is what I sort of, what people expected Foles to do in the pressure Mm -hmm. of that game. That's why I still, we talked about Foles. I like, a guy that can come up in that Super Bowl and play like how Foles played, I I think I want him on my team if I'm Jacksonville. I think that's what, or, or Denver. I, mean, I want a big time player. Uh, Jared Goff has a lot to prove. That was not a good. Per- that was a terrible performance on his part.
0: Philly is they they believe what you believe because they're going to franchise him and trade him. That that's how confident they are that someone wants that that ability. You know, Goff. I'll give him some. He was a product of Sean McVay, and that's there's nothing wrong with being a product of your coach. Um, they did a really good job of. Uh, They did a really good job of disguising his flaws all season. So it is what it is. Um, They they did a good job of disguising his flaws. And Bill Belichick knows how to pick this stuff apart. Um, So this is what happened. You're listening to Ira on Sports. It's 725. (laughs) This is the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here with Ira. Um, You know what's funny to me, Ira? The four top offenses in the league met in the the uh, conference finals, which you don't see that often. They say it's a defensive league defense does win games though and that's what we saw and the Pats, it wasn't the prettiest game from them they came up with stops when they needed
1: yeah I think I mean in the first quarter when they they were able you could see what they what I thought they were gonna do Sony Michelle Rex Burkhead running the ball uh, mostly Sony Michelle and Cordell Patterson got a great kickoff return and then they went Sony Michelle like four their four plays were Michelle Patterson and they are scripted, and these are all scripted plays. They get down to the 34 yard line, like they look great, and then, then Brady throws an that was interception. An ugly pick. So there's points of this. The Pats went to run the ball. Chris Hogan was terrible. I, I was there when you're at the game, and what you see, Hogan was not getting separation. He wasn't fighting for the ball, he looked like he was injured. I think if the Patriots had that's why they brought Josh Gordon in. If they would have an outside receiving threat, they don't need Randy Moss, but just someone. Say they had Juju Smith-Schuster on that team. I mean, just another wide receiver, that would have helped so much because Hogan did not catch the ball the entire game. They targeted him six times and zero catches, and it wasn't all Brady's fault. Hogan just could not get open.
0: That's a very good point, and you don't see on TV because they're only showing you who the pass is getting thrown to. When you're there, you can see, why this guy is just blanketed
1: by by a D-back. So the Rams get the ball back, and, and, and Gurley ran. So finally, the question is, what's, what's Gurley going to do in this game? He had a run for two yards. Goff was then rushed out of the pocket and then incomplete, and they threw another incompletion pass. So you're starting to see that on the first tray, they, the Rams could not run the ball. Goff was getting flustered, running out of the pocket, and he wasn't throwing good passes. So they could take advantage of the interception. So they punt it back to the Patriots who get it on the 12th. The Rams punter was great. I mean, the Hecker. punting was just, first the way the longest pun in Super Bowl history. He had a heck of a lot of punts. Yes, he was, he was phenomenal. <laughs> And that's when, again, the Pats come down. They converted to Edelman for 11 yards on a first down. And uh, and then they had – it was interesting. They threw it to Burkhead. Remember that play? And I know the media hasn't talked about it that much. But then they had an unnecessary roughness on Roby, the guy that did the yeah. penalty. And I thought that was – It was, was a such a makeup call. It was such a makeup call from a game before for a team that he wasn't even playing. It's like they just called unnecessary roughness on a tackle. I, <laughs> I thought it was – immediately
0: I was just like, what a weird makeup call. I mean, it was just <laughs> – For running his mouth all week and for uh, committing the – And
1: for committing the it – And was, it was just on <laughs> Burkhead. It was just a normal tackle on yeah. a guy and they called unnecessary <laughs> roughness. And they got completions to Burkhead and Gronkowski. They got down to the 33. And then it was weird. They got down to the 33, and then Burkhead runs for two yards. And then they throw again deep to Hogan. Hogan doesn't catch it. And then they run on third and eight with James White, who's not even their runner because on that place. That was, place. Weird. That was go, the weirdest call of the That game. was the weirdest call. And then they don't and then they just missed miss the field goal. So it was like what a mess. So they so here they've gone down twice. So interception, they should be up 14-0, yeah. I think. Because the Rams aren't doing anything. The Rams get the ball back. So they miss the field goal. You think, okay now the Rams are going to show what it's made of. They come back. They, they, they absolutely don't do anything. Another third and out. Um, and they, I thought they were going to try a fake punt like they did against New Orleans. And I think the Patriots mm. then snuffed. That's where the coaching came in. They were very well aware of everything the Rams were, were going to do. And then the Pats get the ball on their, their 19-yard line. Michelle runs for four yards. They throw to Edelman for 25. Brady, that's the series that Brady fumbled the ball. Now, that could have been a key play mm. when he fumbled right on the 50-yard line. And I thought that was a I beat. screamed when he did it. Oh, my God. <laughs> but then, and the one thing is the Patriots did—they completed a lot. It was second and nine. They completed a pass to Gronk. They went on third and like uh, third and uh, nine. They completed Edelman, but it was short enough that they had to then go. Um, they had to go punt and. And the Patriots have been in nine Super Bowls. They only scored three points in nine Super Bowls in the first quarter. And they out but they out yardaged them 113 to 29. But that game, again, this is like we talked about the Saints game. It's like, boy, the Rams get off these slow starts. That was a chance to really come and, and take advantage of them. Uh,
0: no, I, I thought that too. And you know, one of I, I I'm friends with a professional handicapper. It's all he does for a living, is he's a gambler. And he said his lock. Was that the Rams would get the ball first? Patriots, 22 of 25 times on the road or neutral site have def- have um, have decided to uh, to kick. The Rams, if they win the toss, they should be taking the ball because what Brady does on the first drive, all playoffs, and what he does normally, he's going to take nine minutes off the clock and get seven. They had two chances and they didn't get anything. It was a very weird first quarter, right?
1: Right, and then the Rams get the ball. Again, in the second quarter, they go three and out. Um, It was interesting. Goff had a pass deflected that... He was lucky that I mean he's getting he's a tall guy he should not be getting his passes deflected like Breeze or someone else. Mm-hmm. He got his passes deflected and I thought McCourty could have stolen that could have got the interception on he that should. That hit him right in the hands. It hit him in the hands was deflected the ball was coming out but then the Pats get the ball back um, again third and one short pass settlement for twenty five yards and then but on third and nine they threw to Gronk for four yards and they settled for that forty eight yard field goal so they again I, you know they're moving they're in the they're in the um, Rams field position every single possession and just were getting three points in that mm-hmm. uh, the Rams come back um again on a third and 10 he was pressured he couldn't complete a pass i mean it's like every time they were in a third down position they could get they could not convert uh Goff could even make the short passes or the, or the long passes um, and then the pats got the ball back they, they weren't able to do anything and uh the rams then on at near the end of the second quarter um th- that's when the rams caught the ball on the 45 uh because on the punt And I thought, this is their chance to go down and score. But Gurley had two carries, so it was third and two. And that's where Goff then just, I think, turned his back. They were like on the 50-yard line, and Goff turns his back and was like running backwards like a high school quarterback, Mm. and he was scared, and and he lost his
0: Yeah,
1: it was uh, Von Roy Roy tackled him for minus 14 yards. I mean, they were almost borderline in field goal range. They were close, especially
0: for Greg DeLay. And
1: he just ran backwards and was tackled. Mm -hmm. And then the Patriots then get the ball in the 27 to end the half, and they drive down there, and I thought that White, they finally gave the ball to White. Uh, but that's when they went on fourth down at fourth and one on the 32. I mean, scary play to go for go for it on fourth and one and not get it. Um, and then in, remember the saints game when it was 13, three, the saints had the whole game controlled. And then the Rams went down on a seven play, 81 yard drive at a minute, 29 and made it 13, 10, but the Rams got the ball. Goff is sacked by Hightower. Uh, he throws another pass, incomplete, and then it's over. And though, I think a call, someone made a good point, though. The Pats got the ball in, like, the two-yard line after another great punt, and then they were downing it. But they could have gone – They could the Rams could have kept calling timeouts. They had two more timeouts. And mm. make Brady kneel in the end zone. Like, he'd have to run a play. I was amazed that Goff didn't try to do any I, – I was amazed that they didn't – that McVay didn't make Brady do something. But um, the key on that first half was uh, – uh, eight was great I mean but it was 12 to two first downs the in terms of first downs for the Patriots they ran 40 plays to the Rams 22. Uh, 195 yards to 57 yards. The Rams were 0 and 6 on third downs. And look what the yardage: third and eight, third and three, third and three, third and ten, third and two, and third and two. So these are not the third and twos and third and threes. They could not convert. You're
0: at, by the end of the game, just off their track record. I saw it was a short third down, and I knew they weren't going to complete
1: it because they hadn't completed any all game. It was so bad. And this is a game against the uh, the, the the Cowboys that had this amazing defense. They just give the ball to Gurley or Anderson and were able to score. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, mm. they were. They just they were they would go on fourth down fourth and two fourth and three they could even complete on third and twos and third and three.
0: Sean McVay, the offensive mastermind, you know the future of the NFL didn't look like that versus yeah. Bill Belichick. And
1: the one thing that was stri- striking was that out of five of the times, six times, Patriots had the ball they were in Rams territory and only get three points and finish the three and hmm. three nothing in the first for the first half.
0: You're listening to Ira on Sports. It's 7.33. This is the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Alex Reimer from WEEI in Boston joins us uh, here in just a minute. But, Ira, keep going on the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, the Rams deferred it, um, and to start the second half, they Goff throws the ball it was dropped by Hightower. I thought that was another interception they could have had, but I, it was right in his hands. But then Chung got hurt on the next play, so now Patrick Chung, who's a de- greatest One of your defender, best player, yeah. best player, he's out. And you're thinking, wow, what's going to happen there? But then um, they couldn't. The Patriots couldn't drive, but they again. But the Rams get the ball again. The punting was crucial because the Rams get the ball on the two the two yard line, and again. Goff can't do anything. Goff, they were afraid at that point, I think, to have Goff try any plays whatsoever. Um, and then the Rams drive on, they started, the Rams had a drive on the 23. Anderson ran for a first down. Goff to Cooks for 15 yards. And the play of the game was on first and 10 on the, on the New England 29-yard line. Crooks was wide open. I'm sitting in that end zone. Crooks got that ball. He was standing there. He was so wide open. And Goff, first of all, didn't see him, and threw a wounded duck. I mean, the ball just was fluttering in the air. It was terrible. It was awful. And that was a terrible. They settled for a field. And then the Pats drove down on, they had... um uh, they got the ball back but again they couldn't complete on third down so I mean it ended up 3-3 at the end of the third qu- quarter but the, the Patriots were dominating I mean they had 272 yards the Rams 124 but everyone talks about the drop by Cooks in the fourth quarter but that pass that Goff threw when Crooks is, it's just it's like almost like a flag football game where someone I'm like how did he get so wide open mm. but McCourty was able to recover Unbelievable. but you gotta watch how he threw that ball it was, it was like sideways it wasn't a professional like college quarterbacks don't high school. it was a high school <laughs> quarterback throw I mean, that was weird types of things. I mean, in the fourth quarter, and then just finish it, we'll get Alex on. But Goff, uh, the first play of the fourth quarter, he had his own illegal procedure. He pulled back, and the ball wasn't there. He didn't even know his own play. Mm -hmm. He was so flustered. And then Anderson fumbled the ball, uh, but it it was just a total disaster from them going down. And they finally went down, and then the Patriots got the ball back. I mean, five plays won the game. Brady to Gronk 18 yards, Brady to Edelman, Brady to Burkhead, Brady to Gronk again for 29's Michelle touchdown. Just Everyone amazing. knew that
0: game was over then.
1: And it was and that was yeah. it. And then even the interception at the end, but I was sitting there watching the interception when they threw and when Gilmore intercepted it and Goff another. T- I mean, Goff made two good passes, he got full of himself. He thought this is going to do and then he throws that interception again. I think
0: it's time to bring in Alex Reimer uh, from WEEI Radio in Boston, contributor to Forbes, uh, Boston Magazine, SB Nation, Boston Herald. You know him before. He's a good friend of the show here. Alex, thank you so much for joining us, man.
2: I'm such a good friend. uh, It's Reimer, but that's all right, guys. And I'm I'm only EI full-time now, but... What, good
0: to be back. Reamer, see, we've got a, a hockey goalie down here, and he goes by Reimer with the same spelling. So that... he's my long lost, he's
2: my long lost cousin. Yeah.
0: So tell me a little bit about the ad. like Boston must have been. I mean, I know you guys only win uh, championships in sports like every four months, so th- this is not right. like exactly something new to you guys. But how? What was the feeling going on in New England today? The
2: feeling in New England. Um, I think people are uh, really enjoying and really did enjoy this Patriots run. I understand how cheesy it sounds nationally for Brady and Belichick even to pull the nobody believed in us card. And I agree, to an extent, it is cheesy for the Patriots to say that. But the truth is, for the last 12 months, the conversation around this team has been overly negative. You go back to what we were doing last year at this time, it was Malcolm Butler, it was the Brady-Belichick ref Gronk is he going to retire? Gronk is telling Danny Amendola, "Be happy, be free." It seems like that we're almost on the verge of a mutiny here against Belichick and his austerity. You go eleven and five, you go three and five on the road. You have bad road losses in December to Pittsburgh and Miami, and really into the playoffs, guys. I did not think the Patriots would be here. I think few people did. They played their best football in January and last night. So I think people are overjoyed because a. You never know if this is going to be the last one. And B, I don't think, I think very few people thought they were going to be here. I I certainly didn't.
0: You know, Alex, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, I think 95% of people who know the NFL were looking at the Patriots like they don't really have a chance this year. I knew in the first quarter of the Chargers game that this was the same old Patriots that was going to roll through pretty much anybody. I picked you guys to win uh, yesterday, and, and that did come th- come true. Let's talk for a second, uh, you know, not about so much the game, but, you know, down here in, in South Florida, we got a big hire in Bly- Brian Flores. It was announced uh, like literally 14 minutes after the game ended. Tell us a little bit about what we should be expecting from, uh, from Brian Flores here as our new Dolphins head coach.
2: Well, the thing is, we don't really know much about him. I mean, he was not really available to the media much this year. He actually was not the Patriots' defensive coordinator. He was the linebacker's coach. He was the de facto coordinator but did not hold the official title. Um, You know, this defense for a lot of the year was not great, you know, especially on the road. Guys like Brandon Bolden, you remember that Dolphins game, were running all over them. Uh, They took it to another level in the playoffs, and this Super Bowl, I wrote it today, uh, I think is one of Belichick's best game plans, if not his best game plan, and Forrest deserves a lot of credit for that as well, I'm sure. I mean, you're just talking about a defense that really just adapted week to week. I mean, what they did with the Rams was they made Jared Goff into a pocket passer. They were betting that he wouldn't be able to beat them, and he didn't. They played a lot at dime. Goff against the dime, went 6-for-16, six three sacks, one interception, and, you know, they were sending five guys, six guys on the interception. That was a great play call by Flores, the all-out blitz. Goff has Harmon in his face, tosses up an easy interception to, the st- to Stephon Gilmore. Uh, you know, really outside of Gilmore and Trey Flowers, this defense does not have really any players in their prime who are all that well-regarded. Uh, Hightower turned back the clock, had a huge, huge Super Bowl as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what do you got up for it certainly is entering the lions job with a much better super bowl under his belt than Matt Patricia did last year with the lions job so i'll give you that uh so yeah i mean i think you have to be encouraged uh because again this was a brilliant brilliant defensive game plan that completely shut down
1: the highest the second highest scoring offense in the league this year and Alex, this is Ira. Um, thanks again for coming on. Uh, the, not only did they shut down the second scoring offense in the Super Bowl, but the first scoring offense in the championship game at in Kansas City. Um, and to be able to stop Mahomes and then stop uh, Goff and McVeigh and, and, and Gurley, just back to back weeks or not back to back, but back to back games, uh, yeah. very very impressive. I guess one of the things is on the running games. I, I I mean, for a team that, if you watch the, I mean, the, the Cowboy game where they just clearly ran over one of the greatest, one of the best defenses in the in the NFL, uh, two hundred some, two hundred seventy yards, and suddenly Gurley and Anderson were not able to do anything against the Patriots.
2: The Gurley thing is weird, guys. I mean, the Rams insist he's healthy, and yet you only give him the ball ten times. And actually, they come out in the second half and run it twice with Gurley. He's picking up some yardage, UKs, and you say, okay. Here we go. It's beyond me as to why McVeigh didn't get girly really more involved in this game. It's obvious Goff, Goff was overmatched for the moment. Uh, and, you know, that's an example where I think Belichick just completely humiliated McVeigh in this game. They had no plan. And also, what the Patriots did brilliantly was, as you know, when the play clock goes down to 15 seconds, you can no longer communicate from the coach to the quarterback on the sidelines. And what the Patriots were doing is they had two play calls on each play. They would show one thing in the first 15 seconds. Then when that communication gets shut off, they would adjust into their other package. And, you know, Goff was up to read the defense on his own. He had no answer. Like I said, I think McVay just got completely exposed. Uh, Wade Phillips had a pretty good game plan on the defensive side. I mean, Brady for three quarters really didn't know what he was seeing outside of Edelman being open, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but... Uh, I don't know. The girly thing is a total mystery to me. He should have been more involved yesterday.
1: And then also the offensive line. I mean, the story going before this game was, look what the Giants did to to, to Brady. They force him up the middle. They come, the, they come and they, they he can't throw around him. And that's exactly what Sue and Darnell was uh, going to do against him. And, of course, it was the other way around. The Patriots were the one who was totally dominated the Rams offensive line. Uh, that's what I was shocked about. I mean, the Rams offensive line on some plays, they were blocking. They had three guys right. blocking space and then three guys from the Patriots are rushing over at Goff.
2: Right, yeah, the Patriots dominated this game up front, as they've dominated up front all postseason. You saw Hightower on that huge sack in the third quarter, was just busting up the middle. I mentioned Harmon in the blitz, which led to the interception. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, 14-yard sack, but that's also on Goff not getting rid of the ball either. I mean, he just held on to the ball for way too long. And, you know, we talk about the Patriots, you talk about adaptability. You know, where, where has the league been going the last couple years? It's been going in this spread-em-out, five-wide, RPO kind of direction. So what do the Patriots do? They get big up front. They give Shaq Mason $50 million. They draft Joe Tooney, another guard. They bring in big Trent Brown to replace Trent uh, to replace Solder. They draft Sonia Michelle, a running back, in the first round. And not one of these real receiving backs, more of a traditional run-through-the-tackles running back. But so that's Belichick adapting and saying, okay, if the rest of the league is going to go big, if we're going to have teams that are putting six, seven defensive backs on the field, like the Chargers did, we're going to run it up here. We're going to have a physical teams. That's what the Patriots did down the stretch. So it's just an incredible testament to how adaptable this team is and how year to year the Patriots do what it takes to win. It sounds like a cliche, but certainly was true this year. And and last
1: night but also I mean the one thing about Hogan having six targets no catches and I was at the, you know, he didn't seem to get any separation at all and I thought on some of the plays I don't think he even fought hard to get the ball the fact that that Brady was able to win this game without having a deep threat at all I'm not talking Randy Moss we're talking about anybody that's why they brought in Josh Gordon right. Um I mean, that has to be a priority for the Patriots next year to get somebody that's going to stretch the field and catch the ball. But it was truly amazing that Edelman was able to have such a great game that he had, uh, considering there was no deep threat in the game.
2: Yeah, the receiving core was bad all year. Certainly outside of Edelman, they had nothing going last night, obviously, as you mentioned. Um, you know, Edelman, it's, it's amazing. You watch these games, and Edelman is wide open all the time. And you say, why don't teams cover Edelman? But... Yeah, I think it's time for us to give credit to the player. And Roma mentioned this last night. You know, Wade Phillips tried a couple things. They tried to match up Edelman man-to-man, whether it was to or Peters, he beat them. Or Nickel, Roby, Coleman, he beat them. If you try to play the zone on Edelman, he has too much space to operate. Just one-click move, he fakes right, goes left, or vice versa. He, he, just, he just needs a few seconds of separation, and that's it. I mean, this was the Julian Edelman game. This was his trademark game. And, you know, it couldn't have ended any better way for the Patriots. The final touchdown drive, what do you have? Brady to Gronk on a linebacker, first down. Brady to Edelman over the middle, 13 yards, easy pitch and catch. Burke head in the flat. And then, maybe the last time we will see it, Brady to Gronk. Once again, Gronk is matched up with a linebacker uh, in the middle of the field. Beats Littleton to get to the goal line. Great throw. So, You know, the Patriots are right. Had nothing going on the outside, but with Edelman and Gronk in the middle, it was more than enough to win last night.
1: Um, Do you think, was there ever a chance the Patriots on that final drive, I mean, they lined up like they were going to go on fourth and one, and then they brought the field goal unit in. Was there ever a chance they were actually going to go for it on fourth and one on that play when they're up 10-3? No,
2: I mean, I think they were just looking to maybe catch the Rams offside, and that's the right move. I mean, you win the field goal, you ice the game, so I had no issue with that call.
1: Wow. Also, we were talking earlier about just the atmosphere of the Super Bowl. Um, I know that there, there's definitely the Patriots had a lot more experience. But, well, I mean, I have go to a lot of games, so I'm there. And you see there's a standard routine, whatever stadium you go to, how many minutes you have, what the teams go out. But the Super Bowl, it's completely different. There's so there's so many people on the field. The routine is messed up. The timing is different. There's cameras everywhere. The, the, people, I, I saw where the, the Rams were trying to run plays, and a bunch of cameramen like, wandered right in the middle of the field, and, and I thought one of the players ran into them. It's just totally different. And the Patriots, Brady's seen it, been there, done Done that do you think where do you think that experience level would happen knowing and also the halftime being much longer than it is there's only a 15 minute during the regular season and this halftime can run almost 25 minutes in the Super Bowl um, what about the experience level in a game like this when it's pretty tight uh, for the advantage for the uh, Patriots
2: I think it only helps it only helps and as I mentioned I mean Goff and the Rams were just completely overmatched I mean Jared Goff I don't know guys if I'm the Rams what you do going forward I think he's signed for another year at affordable money, so I guess you keep them. But, you know, past week five of this season, Goff was 17th in the league in quarterback rating, and once he lost Cooper Cup in the slot in December, you know, he really was not effective statistically. So you look at this game, listen, the Patriots were not great either. This was 3 to in 3 in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, this wasn't saved by any stretch of the imagination. Brady was confused, but it just never seemed like the Rams. We're going to come close to winning this game, and you were talking about it before I got on the air. You know, the two plays to Brandon Cooks in the third quarter, he's wide open in the end zone. That's entirely on Goff. He took way too long to get the ball to him, and as you mentioned, it was a wobbly pass anyway. Uh, the last one actually, Cooks drops That's on him. But outside of those two bursts, there was nothing even open for the Rams down the field. Even, like, every play was, was a struggle. So uh, Goff, to me, just completely looked like a deer in the headlights, as I mentioned. The Patriots turned him into a pocket passer, gave him these exotic looks, and he just had no idea what to do with it, and it didn't get any better throughout the game.
1: And going forward, I mean, the question is, I mean, clearly Belichick's going to be back next year, but you're confident that Brady's going to be back and be the quarterback, or is he going to surprise us a month from now and say he's done? No
2: chance. Yeah, I don't know how many more times he has to say it. I mean, he said it about... Approximately 88 times, I'd say, <laughs> over the last uh, couple weeks, about his plans. Brady is coming back in 2019. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think him and Belichick are in a really good place right now. I do, and I think Brady was more jubilant uh, about that guy. That's my Google map. Uh But I, but I, but I think okay, sorry, but I, I think Brady uh, to wrap that up is. Uh, is is locked in right now? He's loving this. I think he enjoyed the Super Bowl run more than the other. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere.
0: I do think you know, as from a different standpoint, Gronk is probably out. Uh, for for me, I think that Gronk. This is a perfect sail away for him. He doesn't seem that interested anymore. He's a shell of himself from five years ago. What do you think about Gronk? So,
2: what do I think about Gronk? Uh, I've been wavering about this the last couple weeks. I keep going back and forth, but. I think he hangs it up as well. He had an answer earlier last week um, about just the physical toll that playing the NFL takes, saying you get hit in the head 50 times and you're expected to get up the next day in practice like nothing is going on it's for him to get ready mentally and physically. So, listen, I think Gronk has gotten the most out of his body. He's had nine surgeries since 2009, multiple back operations. He's working every day with an acting coach who learned in Sports Illustrated last week. <laughs> so he has his eyes set on things beyond football. Uh, I think Rock is done. I do.
1: And Brady, in terms of, I was there for Kobe's last game in LA, and, and it's and it's now Brady has this town as his town and he's this athlete there that is going to be just remembered in, in the iconic of all time sort of in, in many ways like Kobe and Magic are in LA uh, for that just be outside of uh, uh, outside of New England the idea of the greatest of all time but inside uh, inside, it's just like this I mean during that one drive when he was throwing and the fans were chanting Brady Brady it was almost like you're at a boxing match and they were chanting his name and willing his way to go there um, his legend now is I mean it, it was already sealed probably a decade ago but just talk about the legend of Tom Brady in Boston and what people feel about him.
2: They, uh, how do people feel about him? They love him. I mean, he's a, he's a god. He's a, sorry guys, that's my map again. I'm getting off. Uh, he's he's a god. He's a god around here. Six Super Bowls. Uh, certainly, as I mentioned, it wasn't great last night, but he had it in the fourth quarter. And uh, yeah, I mean, Brady's Brady's the best ever. And there's really no argument against it at
1: this point. That's good. I wonder, before we, Alex, thanks a lot for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Um, but one last question is that, we're, of course, we're big NBA fans here. And uh, there's now, Kyrie Irving was not uh, too, I mean, he's talk about wavering. He, wavering. he gave some answers that got people in New York excited and yeah, everywhere else. Uh, what is the feeling now of Boston in terms of what, you know, Kyrie Irving's having the best year of his career, but is, is there a chance he could be traded by in, by next by this week?
2: No, that would be moronic for the Celtics to do. There's no reason to trade Kyrie Irving. He signed through the end of the year, and you don't make decisions based on a mercurial player's day-to-day feelings. I mean, Irving seems to change his mind on a regular basis about this. It's annoying. I mean, he has no obligation to re-sign with the Celtics, but then why make that promise in October just to change your mind seemingly just four months later? So, you know, Irving loves the drama, as a lot of these guys do. I think Danny Ainge has the luxury to kind of sit back and take his time. If the Pelicans don't trade Davis this week, you Harry, you're more million dollars than anybody else out there, so ignore the noise, trust the process. Uh, yeah, if I'm the Celtics, I don't I don't you don't react day to day to what these players say. You just don't.
0: Before we move on, a weird question, and this is for both of you guys. You think there's I mean well, not you think. There's definitely a double standard. In sports, Julian Edelman served a four-game suspension for PEDs this year. He's the Super Bowl MVP now, and there's even, which is ridiculous, people saying, oh, future Hall of Famer. There's no backlash on Julian Edelman for getting busted for PEDs, yet a baseball player is basically, you know, dead to rights as far as Hall of Fame and just public view is. Why do you think that is in football? It's not a problem, Alex, but uh, here, here in baseball, it's really a big issue.
2: This storyline to me is i don't I don't want to belittle you for asking the question, but this storyline to me is like, I don't know, twenty years late thirty years late, I mean, yeah, there's a double standard, and why is there a double standard? Look at the physical punishment. I mean, look at what these guys go through on a week. Does that basis justify them football, doing steroids and cheating though? non guaranteed con- I'm sorry. does that
0: justify them cheating and doing steroids? <laughs> Just because it's the physical toll, every single player has a physical toll. Well, well,
2: collisions. To th- you take 100 collisions to the head, have a non-guaranteed contract, and, you know, see if you don't try to get ahead. I think a lot of these guys use. I think that's the reality. Uh, so that's why it's the double standard.
0: i, I t- tell you truth, I don't think a lot of guys use because they do get tested for it. They're all using the same risks. Um, so you, well, listen, so only like five guys
2: get suspended per year. So you only think five guys in the NFL are using? Or are they beating the test?
0: Maybe maybe you it's both. I think more than five guys are doing it, but I don't think a lot of guys are doing it like baseball was at that point when they had 238 guys uh, on the middle. Well, how report. are they
2: making it through the seasons then, these guys?
0: Maybe painkillers, uh, natural ways to do no. it. Well, we, well, that's better. <laughs> hey, listen, it's, it's not cheating according to their rules, and that's what I'm talking about, breaking the rules, and now they're talking about future Hall of Famer and Super Bowl MVP. Hey, we are about out of time. Alex Reamer... Uh, he's the long lost brother of uh, long lost brother of our goalie here, uh, Rimer. Uh, we appreciate you so much for coming by W E E I Radio in Boston. Also a contributor to Forbes, Boston Magazine, SB Nation, and the Boston Herald. Thank you so much for dropping by Iron Sports. You're always welcome. Um, sure. I <laughs> crazy week for basketball fans. Kristaps Porzingis is is a guy who I can't say that I loved as a player. I mean, I love his skill set. You don't find seven three guys who can who can shoot and play the way he does. But he didn't seem to like New York, and he's out of here.
1: Well, I think it was. I think people look at trades and who's going to win a trade. And I think that sometimes both teams can win. Uh, The Knicks drafted Persingas, he turned out to be a great draft pick. He's played well for them. Uh, he's a different type of player. He's tall, seven two, shoots threes, handles the ball, uh, gets rebounds, blocks shots, um, but he didn't seem to like playing in New York, did not seem to embrace the whole New York everything about it, did not like the team, didn't like the different management structures, didn't like the different coaches they had, just was not comfortable. I don't think he was going to sign long-term with the Knicks, and I think the Knicks are looking, saying, look, we need to have we need to have superstars, and they were able to trade Porzingis and just literally clear cap space. They traded him their contracts, and they were able to clear their cap space for the next uh, for next year to sign two major free agents. When you have Kawhi Leonard from Toronto, you have Kyrie Irving from Boston, you have Kevin Durant, and maybe even trading for Anthony Davis, and that's what Knicks are looking for. The Knicks were saying they got Dennis Smith Jr. in return, possibly someone good, but the Knicks have a bunch of young players, but they really are going after these big free agents. They wanted to bring two in. They knew that they had cap room for one now that gives them two free agents and that's why they made that trade.
0: If you had to give it a percentage, of what are the odds of Kevin Durant coming to New York? What would you what would you give it?
1: I think it's like 20%. I think it's it's small, but there might be a way. He's made some weird decisions. I think he's going to stay in Golden State. I think it's a perfect spot for him. I think he could win five more titles there and go down as one of the greatest players of all time. I think and they also make money, And but I, I think it's they're taking a huge risk. I mean, this trade doesn't make sense if they're going to get Kemba Walker and Jimmy Butler. This trade only makes sense if they get these upper-level, those four upper-level superstars. This is a big risk, but it's a risk that they feel like they needed to make because they're going to lose person anyway.
0: No, I totally agree.
1: As, as a fan and,
0: you know, uh, being from New York, I think it's a very polarizing topic. Some people are like, well, we just gave away the unicorn. I don't think he was a unicorn. And if he doesn't want to play for you, it doesn't matter how good he is. So now we've got at least the flexibility to do what the Knicks need to do. I think it's a great day to be a Knicks fan, you, you know, rolling through with this. Anthony Davis would be a big piece. I don't know if this is going to happen, but he did come out today and say there's four teams that he would that he would sign a long-term contract for. The Knicks are one of them. What do you think about this whole situation now with uh, Anthony Davis? And now the Lakers have upped their offer to basically their entire team at a first.
1: Well, not only have the Lakers uh, – Anthony Davis is uh, is the unique talent from Kentucky and who's played sort of in New Orleans that a lot of people don't see uh, as much in terms of they're not on. They had a good year last year. But uh, one of some people consider the best player in basketball, if not Mm -hmm. one of the top three or four, if you could team him with LeBron with the different skill sets that they have, um, what they could happen. LeBron, he seems to want to play in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has a history from Kareem to Shaq to George Mikan uh, to having big centers and mm-hmm. having or at least big guys that are important on that team. Um, he wants to play in LA. He wants the spotlight. He wants. He likes LeBron. He's the superstar that wants to play there, but he has another year in his contract. So that's the problem. He can't just sign after next year. He's trying to force himself in there. He told um, he told New Orleans, I'm not going to sign for five years, $250 million, an average of the highest contract in the history of, of almost sports. I think that A-Rod's contract might might have been over, but in for no, a five year contract, he said no, he said he was going to turn that down. And uh, uh, and he was trying to force a trade to the Lakers. The Lakers are offering everything for him now. The, what's happening now is interesting. The way this trade's going to get done, and the trade deadline's on Thursday, uh, the trade's going to get down because they're going to find it looks like Lonzo Ball could be traded to Phoenix. This is like a four or five team trade, not just a two team trade, because there's assets that the Lakers have that the Pelicans don't want. Maybe they don't and want other teams Kyle do. Kuzma that other people. They didn't want Yeah, they don't, they might want, they don't want, they clearly don't want Lonzo Ball, but now Phoenix looks like they want Lonzo Ball. So what has to happen is that either the Lakers or the, or the Pelicans trade Lonzo Ball, they get an asset. So it's just all these things that have to work together. Now, the problem is when you have four or five teams to work together, one team decides not to do Anything and the whole thing falls apart. So it's going to be very tricky. This is very difficult. Uh, you have Palinka and and Magic Johnson trying to pull this off. With uh, it's going to be very hard. But that's what they want. And I think LeBron now. LeBron came back, was off seventeen games, came back, played one game, and then sat out the Golden State game on on Saturday. I think LeBron wants this. I think LeBron wants Luke Walton gone, and I think LeBron wants his trade done. And he's going to do everything to make sure this happens. LeBron's agent is the same, and also the agency mm-hmm. that he owns is actually the agent for Anthony Davis also. So that's the weird part of it. So LeBron is vested in this. I don't know if LeBron's going to play again until this till the trade deadline because he wants to see how all this work's done. The Lakers played on Saturday. They lost to Golden State. It was a great game. And then there was fighting after that because some of the veterans don't like how the Luke Walton did the minutes. There's certainly dissension among the team. They're out of the playoffs now by two games. Um, something is going to have to happen. It sort of feels like it was Cleveland last year exactly. when they blew the entire yeah. team up. I mean, LeBron <laughs> is always drama and it's great when he's around there even when he's not playing there's drama around him um, but this is this this is good. The, the whole Anthony Davis and, and also the Pelicans could wait they don't have to trade him just as Alex said about Kyrie he doesn't have to that, he doesn't have to be traded either nobody has to trade anybody now the question is but and he has another year under his contract but they feel that and they could wait and trade him now he doesn't want to go to Boston he said he doesn't want to go to Boston so now there that that was a thought that the Boston would trade some of their assets to get him but it looks like if Anthony Davis that would be exciting if next weekend or after the All-Star break Anthony Davis goes to the Lakers What what
0: sport does a player have this much power it's, it's unbelievable it's such a players league in the NBA that these guys can just basically dictate what happens I do like Adrian Wojnarowski's reporting that the uh, Pelicans GM said we're not trading you to, to LA you want to play in LA it's free agency so I do like th- this is you never hear about these guys really standing up for themselves it's going to be interesting to see what happens I what you know? I asked you a percentage before. What's the percentages that Anthony Davis gets traded by Thursday?
1: I think it's 50-50. I think it's a 50%. I think it's much I think that there is a chance that the that the assets that the Lakers, if the Lakers can pull these other trades they're off. They're offering a lot. They're offering their entire team and they have some good young players. And that's what other teams don't have. Uh, someone like Brandon Ingram. So people who hadn't watched Brandon Ingram play a lot watched this Saturday night. He looked awesome. Mm-hmm. He looked like the player that people think he's going to be. He's a number two player taking the draft from Duke. People think he could be like the next Kevin Durant. He's still he's still young. He's still like 23 years old, 22 years old. Uh, Kuzma is the same thing, 19, 20 years old. So you have all these young assets uh, uh that Players that could develop into superstars. If you're new, if you're New Orleans, you're going to lose Anthony Davis to bring these players in. Uh, I think it's, it's 50-50, but they might say, "Look, someone else is going to offer more at the end of the year." That's what I
0: think. I, I do. I don't think a deal gets done. I think they wait till after the season's over to pull something off. But we'll see. We got uh, three days to figure it out. It's eight oh one. Ira on Sports ninety five nine, the True Oldies Channel. We're over. Shocker. Um, you know, what? like I, I've talked about it on the show before. I, I've become a fan of the Heat. From living here, they talk about the Heat a lot. This team is just, I like Spolstra. I think he's kind of mismanaging a little bit this year. And it's tough. He's got nine players who are the same guy. But they're they're a little bit uh, upset about minutes, some of these guys. The Heat are in trouble, I...
1: Well, they, they're 24-27. and 27. This week, they had a homestand where they played the Bulls, Oklahoma City, Indiana. Um, Oklahoma City is one of the top teams in the league, but Bulls are the, one of the worst. Indiana just lost Oladipo and is reeling, and they've been, they would lost four in a row when they came into Miami. They needed to win those games. They needed to at least win two of those three. They lost all three, and now they're going for six games on the road against Portland, Sacramento, Golden State, Denver, Dallas, and Philly. I mean, besides Dallas, they're going to be heavy underdogs in all those games. Um, they, could, they could fall out of the day spot. They have contracts that can't be traded. Until another year, um, they are in a. They are, They have 13 players for 12 on a team that they have a bunch of very good players that are role players, but are contracts that are a little too high, so they can't trade them. And this is. And if they want to make the playoffs this year, this is. They're going to have to make a run for it. Um, they have proven in the years past to play well after the All Star break, but they don't want to dig themselves in a hole and fall out of that in order not to make it.
0: Let's talk about the All Star game. Uh, it's coming up and. <clears throat> you seem to think we got the best players, and I kind of agree with you. There's not much I would change. It's a star-driven league, and we're going to see the stars.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's weird. They, they announced that you see in all these other sports in baseball and football. I mean, there's always some debate, but besides the two players from Utah that didn't make it, it's hard to find a player that sort of deserved over it. Everyone says, oh, I think this person's an all-star, but then who are you going to take out? I mean, people like DeMar DeRozan for San Antonio, mm-hmm. but Aldridge has been the better player for them this year. So it's really, I think they actually got it sort of right. The only player, maybe Luka Donick for, uh, for Dallas, Dallas is having a tremendous year. Could have been added to the team, but it's it's it, they did a great job, and I think that adding Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade was a was a great gesture. I, I know a lot of people are criticizing that because they're like, well, how are we going to keep adding these stars? But they've been all they've been Finals MVPs. They're of course first ballot Hall of Famers, some of the greats of all time. Um, I think putting those to it, and they've been great ambassadors for the NBA. I think that was a great move by Adam Silver. I think people want to see the stars. It's an entertainment, it's an exhibition. Let them play in the game. I don't know. I, I was amazed at the backlash for Wade and Nowitzki getting in. They're like, well, should Vince Carter get in or some of these great players? I think it's great that both of them are there.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. And it, it, the word you said that stands out the most is ambassadors. They've been nothing but great for this game between Dirk and Dwayne Wade. And what better send-off than to see the see them in an All-Star game in what's probably both of their final season. It's Dwayne's and Dirk, Dirk is assumedly you know uh, retiring after this. Future All-Stars, probably going to see Zion Williamson uh, in that mix, and... I don't know what team it's going to be for. I hope it's the New York Knicks. I right, but uh, this guy just continues to roll. Well,
1: I think I think Zion Williams. And as much as I've been high on him when I saw him this summer in an exhibition game, he's playing better now. I think he's improving, which is really scary because he is now defensively he's just playing better defensively he his handle he had these fast breaks he played St. John's they won by 30 Um, his numbers are ridiculous but it's not the numbers 13 for 17 uh, six boards five steals two blocks 29 points but it's not just he just makes every shot he is phenomenal around the basket LeBron James even as the great the as he was, sometimes missed layups, sometimes drove. He was not a great finisher. The joke was always that Kyrie Irving might have been a better finisher for the Cavaliers than LeBron because maybe he was afraid of getting fouled or whatever. Mm. But, Zion Williamson can hang. He's not Charles Barkley. When he goes up, he's Michael Jordan because he can elevate and just he stays up there longer than anyone else and he's getting these easy layups and every shot he's having these easy these layups all the time because his elevation is so great. He's so athletic. He's so strong. Um, He was making some amazing passes. His court vision, he drained a couple three-pointers um, and I like the fact is that I've been watching. I've watched every single one of his games, and each game he seems to be getting better and better and better. And the enthusiasm is still there. The diving after the floor, the hustle. If he gets burnt on a play, he doesn't let the guy just go. He go. He tries to block the shot. Um, just a tremendous player. And they play Virginia on Saturday night. Duke does, and that should be a tremendous game. I mean, I'm wondering how the, the what they're going to if they're going to put Duke as an underdog in that game. I think it's very hard to do it. They were only a two point favorite when they played them at Duke, but at Virginia, it might be. I, I'd be shocked if duke's an underdog but virginia's third in the country duke's two in the country so that should be a great game on saturday night
0: before we wrap this up um i had my own little super bowl before the super bowl Uh, everyone knows my favorite uh, golfer is jupiter resident ricky fowler interesting win i mean he went in with guns blazing and then the 11th hole was just something you very rarely see a triple bogey on some weird golf technicalities but my man ricky takes it down
1: well, when in the Phoenix Open. I mean, the field was pretty weak. I mean, that it wasn't it wasn't as strong. Um, a lot of the top golfers weren't there. But I mean, Justin Thomas finished third at 14 under. So and then Bubba was there at fourth, at, at, finished fourth at 12 under. Um, I was at the games, so I didn't see uh, the whole final round. But. Um, Look, Ricky's going to compete in the Honda Classic. He's got the summer. He's playing well. Um, this could be the year he starts winning majors, and, and uh, we're going to mm. see. This is, I mean, it's interesting. There's a lot, as we talked about last year, there's a lot of good young golfers, and uh, it's the, that's what makes these tournaments so great is you have the best competing against each other, um, especially these top tournaments, Players' Championship coming up, Masters coming up.
0: We are just about out of time. Ira, so
1: coming off a week where you went to the Super Bowl, what are you doing this week? I'm not sure. The Super Bowl was so much. I will figure something. I'll figure somewhere to go. Maybe some college basketball this week or a pro basketball game. But uh, it was great. I love being at the Super Bowl. It was a tremendous experience and it was great.
0: Like I said, we're out of time. I want to thank Alex Reamer from WEEI in Boston for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. We'll talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.